0: Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. On today's episode, we are going to jump ahead of where we are in Drawing Out Advent. So a couple things there. One is it's not too late to subscribe to Drawing Out Advent. And two, we're going to get ahead in the story, but we're going to keep up with this theme of people coming home. And we're going to hear a little bit about Mary and Joseph and where they had to go to Joseph's home. So If you haven't subscribed to Drawing Out Advent yet, I hope that you will subscribe to it and join us on this journey from here towards Christmas as we talk a little bit about the story each day and leave you with a question. It's been fun to do this project with Adam Trest and Thomas Steinwinder, and it's been great hearing from those of you who are listening to it, how much you're enjoying it and what it's Uh, meaning for you as you walk towards Christmas. So if you haven't signed up, it's not too late. You can find everything you need to know at the links in the show notes, and you can visit godknowswhere.supercast.com to subscribe and get it right here in your podcast feed alongside weekly episodes like today's episode. So keep telling your friends and family about these regular episodes, about what we're doing with drawing out Advent, whatever. Keep telling people about God knows where. It's been so fun to be on this journey with you throughout this year. And I'm looking forward to bringing you guys some exciting new stuff in the new year as well. So thanks for supporting the show in all the ways that you do. I hope you enjoy today's episode, Immaculate Perception. Immaculate Perception. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 51 years ago, two days before Christmas, with 22 seconds left in the game and trailing by one point, Terry Bradshaw threw a pass on fourth and ten that was tipped and scooped up by Franco Harris, no relation, maybe an inch above the ground. Harris ran it all the way in for a touchdown to give the Pittsburgh Steelers the win. That play was called the Immaculate Reception. More than one list has named this as the greatest play in the history of the NFL. Now, you may know the play, you may not. What I didn't know until I read more about this play was that the moniker given to it, which is equally as great as the play itself, didn't come from the announcer on radio or TV. It came from some friends of a sports reporter who called him up before he went on air late that night with their creative play on words. It would be great if the announcer had the wherewithal in the moment to come up with a name like that, to define it as it was happening so clearly and so creatively, but that's just not what happened. It took time and reflection and someone beyond the story to make that great play even greater. We sometimes think of the Gospels that we read as first-hand accounts of the events they contain, play-by-plays of the life and times of Jesus, but none of them are. They were written years later, poured over by inspired minds telling the incredible story of God at work in our world. And what we just read from Luke was written as best we know maybe 90 years after the events it describes. That's like you or me writing about the Great Depression. If we're lucky, we know some folks who lived through it who are still around today. If we know where to look, we can find accounts of what life was like back then. And if we pay attention to the world around us, like we talked about Elizabeth doing last week, we can see that where we are now is a direct result of where we were then. The same is true for Luke. Luke is only able to convey the significance of this story because he's on this side of Easter. The Immaculate Conception was anything but. The only folks who were aware of the weight of this event at that time were Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, and maybe Zechariah. To everyone else, they were just regular people doing what they had to do to survive in the Roman Empire. They were doing what they were asked, not because they knew the significance of going back to Bethlehem and all the ways that it would tie Jesus to his ancestors, but because they knew if they didn't do it, there would be trouble and they would put everything God had told them in jeopardy. They weren't thinking about the power of what Luke is telling us here, that Caesar isn't God. God isn't an emperor, that God is bigger because God chooses to be smaller. They only knew that God had invited them into a story and there were a lot of problems standing in the way. Luke made sense of all that stuff. They just kept doing what they had to do to keep the story and themselves alive and with immaculate perception the kind that only comes from reflection and space between events and the understanding of their meaning, does Luke see this birth for the world-changing, power-flipping 180 it is? It's only after Easter has happened that Luke can make sense of Christmas. It's only after Easter that we can make sense of Christmas. By looking at Christmas through Easter eyes, Luke sees how Mary and Joseph coming home to Bethlehem, to give birth to a son in the midst of Caesar's tax grab, was a powerful foreshadowing of all that was to come. It's only then that he can see the humble nature of Jesus' ministry as the fruits of the circumstances of his birth. It's only after hearing and fearing and maybe even seeing those who'd known Jesus or been touched by his teaching losing their own lives in similar ways after following Jesus' example in those decades after his death that Luke could understand how radical God was in coming into the world when and where and how God did through Jesus. Nine years ago, we learned that my mother-in-law had lung cancer. We visited her a lot for a few months, and late in the spring of the following year, we decided that we needed to get closer to her. I found a job that looked interesting online, and I applied and interviewed and moved down here in the span of about eight weeks. It was fast. It was really fast for any hiring process. And because of that speed, we got to spend the last two years of my mother-in-law's life with her. And it was good, it was really good to be able to do that, for that all to work out the way it did. But in the years since we came down here, it's become clearer and clearer that something bigger was happening in those conversations and the interviews and the negotiations. It's only with space and time that we can see how great of a blessing that was for us, God is working all the time in your life, in my life, in our life together. God is driving this story forward each and every day. Some days it's really clear where this is all headed. And other days it seems like only a few people at most have any idea what's going on. And even then, that is debatable. But... Like Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah, we've got to do what we can to keep the story alive. Like Zechariah, we've got to know where to go when we need help. Like Mary, we've got to find that person who can help us conquer our fears. Like Elizabeth, we've got to help others see the bigger picture. And like Mary and Joseph together, we've got to be ready to move ready to adapt, ready to push through when the story takes us out of our comfort zone. We are, all of us, we are where we are now because of where we've been before. And we'll only get where God is leading us from where we are right now. The choices we make today will make the difference. So let's choose like those folks back then who knew what God was doing in that little town of Bethlehem and choose to ask for help and to conquer our fears and to help others see a bigger picture they may have missed. Let's prepare ourselves to adapt and step out of our own comfort zones in order to keep God's story alive. It might not make sense or be clear to any of us right now, And we will run into roadblocks. We will be asked to do things that we don't understand. But God is in the middle of it, continuing to deliver on the promises that have been made before, continuing to make the story clearer and clearer to us so that we can understand just exactly what God is doing all around us. For this, all there is to be said is thanks be to God. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It would mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening until next time take these words from william sloan coffin with you may god give you the grace never to sell yourself short grace to risk something big for something good grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love so may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.